Hello, everyone, and welcome to the On the Farm Pitcher List podcast about all things prospect, dynasty, and minor league related. Uh, my name is Jake, and I'm your host. And today, uh, we're joined by my good friend, my good real life friend, uh, Brent Snowden. He is a longtime fantasy baseball player, dynasty fantasy baseball player, a a beer connoisseur, a fiddle leaf fig whisperer, uh, and many other wonderful things. Uh, so, Brent, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, how's it going? Uh, good, Jake, and thank you for all the kind things, albeit uh, some of them not true. Um, I mean, I, I consider you a good friend of mine, but thank you for saying the other way around. And uh, the fiddle leaf that people can't see on this podcast that is behind me where I'm sitting uh, would beg to differ with that uh, statement as well. But you, You've nursed a couple back from guaranteed death. I've, I've witnessed it. I think I like nurse them back to death and then I just kill them. And then, yeah, that's what happens. I don't know. Oh but man. I will say the beer piece. Yes. Uh, spot on there. And when it comes to being longtime fantasy baseball player, longtime baseball fan, just in general. Uh, absolutely. You got that right. <laughs> All right. Fair. Um, but yeah, so we, you know, got Brent on the podcast today. Uh, for the kind of main reason that he accomplished something that I think is is really great and impressive. Um, so last uh, last offseason, a little less than a year ago, there was a spot open in the Dynasty League that I'm in. Uh, and so, you know, I let Brent know, like, hey, you should, you know, take try to take over one of these teams, you know, good league. And so Brent took over a roster that was that had finished in 10th place um, and, like, deservedly so. It wasn't really because of, like, uh, lack of management or anything like that. Um, it was, you know, it just wasn't a, wasn't a deep uh, roster. Um, and so he, you know, took over the roster and then he turned it completely around, rebuilt the whole thing essentially, uh, and won a championship in the very next season after, after taking it over, after it came at 10th place. And for any, you know, anyone who plays dynasty baseball consistently, that is a very tough thing to do. I've taken over a couple teams and have not been able to have that significant of success that quickly. And so I think, you know, it'd be good to just kind of talk about how that happened. You know, what were the process was like, what kind of, what were the weaknesses, like what was kind of like the, the strategy, you know, how did it, uh, you know, depend based on the, the league settings and things like that. So we're, we're going to talk about that. Um, and, but before we get into it, I wanted to just kind of, you know, ask uh, Brent a few more things, just kind of talk a little bit about your, your, your baseball fandom, fantasy fandom. Uh, just kind of get, you know, get the audience, get to know you a little bit better uh, as they haven't had the the privilege that I have had of, of sharing some some adult beverages. So um, so first off, you know, baseball fan, obviously, for for a while. How did you first get into baseball? Uh, then how did you eventually find uh, fantasy baseball? Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if I can really go back to where baseball first started in my life. It was something that, you know, for many of the listeners too, something that it almost feels like that you were just born into. Um, so, I mean, I started playing T-ball when I was really young and I have vague memories. I don't want to like give away my age here, but vague memories of the 1990 uh, Reds World Series team. And maybe that helped. I don't know, given that I'm from Cincinnati. Uh, but we'd go to games all the time and, you know, started collecting baseball cards and just loved statistics and loved the strategy behind the game and i think that that kind of is a natural segue for many of us into fantasy baseball is the strategy that's behind the game that is baseball 
naturally kind of leads us to, you know, wanting to manage our own team and wanting to, uh, you know, make the decisions that were a lot of times critical of the manager making on the field. So I, uh, you know, fast forward to, I think, I mean, it's probably 20 years ago at this point, maybe a little bit longer than 20 years ago, I started playing fantasy baseball and it was with my roommate in college, but actually before we were roommates, I think. And, uh, and then some other good friends still in that league today. Um, and that's really where it came from. I mean, I think it was a combination of our, all of us, like our love for baseball, our love for strategy. And then also it's just this great social activity that, you know, we would always, we would meet up at BW threes. And I don't know if that you have, you know, if that's a sponsor or not, say that. (laughs) In my generation, we call the B dubs. Yeah, I didn't know in my generation too. Uh, thanks, I'm not that mod. But <laughs> well, no, because well, you have been playing fantasy baseball for almost as long as I've been alive. So. <laughs> uh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. And that's a wrap. <laughs> no. uh, just no, we got five minutes. We got we got five minutes in, and that's it. Oh, yeah. Man. No. So uh, no, but we'd meet up at B Dubs. It was uh, back in the day. We would take and we had laptops. Believe it or not, back then, twenty years ago. And we would take them all to, to beat ups and we would sit around and we would do our, our fantasy draft, like pretty much all of us from the same spot. Right. And those are my memories. And that was super exciting. Even as we moved away from that college town, we continued to go back there once a year and like still meet up at the same beat ups and, and uh, do the fantasy draft. And that's always a lot of fun. Um, so yeah. And then that brought me to um, playing in a few different leagues over those 20 years and to you know where i got fortunate enough a year ago that you had mentioned someone left in this league that you're in and it was a really great opportunity to jump in and take over a team and uh thrilled that you asked me and honored that you asked me to do it yeah absolutely absolutely it's been it's cool to you know have a like a dynasty league with with people that you know in in real life and you know it's uh, so much of my baseball interaction is on the internet, you know, on Twitter, on Discord, and and that's great too. I've met some incredible people through through that and through this podcast. And but it's just kind of nice when you can kind of when you're you know getting together for a happy hour, and then you can kind of you know talk strategy on some trades. And we actually negotiated one of our trades that which we'll talk about on this podcast um, a few hours after I proposed to <laughs> to my girlfriend. We were on the ferry back yes. from the like the beach town where I did it, and we. <laughs> Or talking through the negotiations for a trade, you know? So it's like things like that. That's just, it's priceless, you know? It felt like a real-time trade deal. We were on a boat, right? We were yeah. on a boat surrounded by yachts. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. I won't spoil that yet, but yeah, it definitely had this this uh, feel as if we were real general managers. You right. Know, I'm like whispering to Emma on the side, you know, like my, my reasoning or whatever, you know, like, what, what do you think, you know? And oh man, yeah, it was great. Uh, but yeah, so then, so I, I believe... Um, most, if not all of those, the ones that I've heard of has been, um, your leagues have been rotisserie scoring. That's, I think something that you kind of have have focused on. So like, why, you know, have you played kind of other formats, uh, to just kind of always done rotisserie? Why do you like rotisserie? Kind of like where some of like the, the nuances maybe are the things that you enjoy about it specifically? Yeah. So, you know, like you asked me that question and then I have to like think for myself, like for a second, do I actually um, like, do I actually prefer rotisserie because I have been in leagues that were not, but the league that I was in last year and I was in it for a few years and I, I left that league last year and joined this one. 
Um, it was also rotisserie, but the one that I've been in for 20 years has not been, it's head to head. Um, so, but I, I do think that that's an accurate statement that I actually, I do prefer rotisserie. And I think the reason is like, I think it goes back to the love of strategy for the game. And when you're playing head to head, that tends to be these weekly matchups and it has more of like a football feel to it where you're playing to win that week at the end against the person who you're playing against. And then, you know, rotisserie is this ongoing thing that is just, you know, you're paying close attention to the stats, but I don't know. And I would say maybe like another piece of it that I haven't thought about until you just asked me this was I'm not super competitive. And um, I feel like, that which you know i know a lot of people who play fantasy are super competitive and that's all cool like that's great but for me i feel like that there's something about um achievement that to me kind of means more than than the competitiveness of playing head-to-head against somebody so i do when i play rotisserie i don't think as much about beating the other players i just think about collecting the stats and i think that's for me a part of rotisserie that that i really enjoy right absolutely um, that definitely fits. I think that that makes sense. Uh, and it's it's really, I think, interesting, the strategy that kind of comes with that too. Um, like when we've talked about things in the past and um, like before you would join this league, we had talked about a few moves. And I remember like you specifically mentioning like, oh, like I'm in, you know, I'm in third and I have to make up this trade, you know, this move that's going to, you know, not, like not only like make my team better, potentially like attack the weaknesses of the team ahead of me right like where am i actually going to gain in, in standings points and the, mm-hmm. i think that's like an interesting kind of like continual like balancing act that you have to do you know it's not it's a much more far-sighted you know we're in head-to-head you're like i just need to win this week and then we'll worry about the, the stuff after and I, I mean i play a, a decent amount of head-to-head leagues as well and like i enjoy it all uh, but yeah there is that kind of extra element and rotisserie of, of playing a long game of just accumulating stats and kind of um doing that uh, and yeah, like interesting. I hadn't thought of that, like anti, I guess, anti-competitiveness thing, you know, like you're not really like, I'm not trying to beat this guy, you know? Um, like when I play my dad in fantasy football, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to like, I really want to beat him. That's the main goal here. Right. So I could just, I don't care if I win the league, I could just brag about that, you know? Um, but you know, you don't have that aspect. I think that's kind of honestly nice. And it's easier to stay level-headed, I think throughout the season, you know, it was like a process, you know, it's not like this like intense kind of, um, you know, battle like weekly. So that's good. Um, and then, so dynasty leagues then. So why, um, why dice from, from my perspective, we've talked a lot about dynasty leagues and I don't believe you do a ton of redraft. So kind of like you talk then about that, like maybe preference for dynasty or, um, any redraft experiences and, and what you think, kind of think there. Yeah. You know, I think outside of joining you in this league, um, that was definitely something that was exciting was to play in a league with you. Um, But also something that drew me to this league was the fact that it was dynasty league because, uh, and not just a dynasty league, but it's like, like there's not even a set number of players that we can keep. It's like, no, you keep however many players that you want to keep. Right. And I've actually never been in a league like that. I've been in dynasty leagues where, you could keep a set number of players. And even that one, the one that I'm in that I've been in for 20 years head to head is like, we can keep five players up up to a max of five players, but then whatever round that we drafted that player, 
we lose the draft round that's one ahead of them the next year. So you draft a player fifth, and then the next year you're going to lose your fourth round pick if you want to keep that player. So there is some strategy to that, obviously. You know, do I do I ever keep a first round pick? Maybe not. Um, but in this particular league, and just the whole idea of dynasty, I mean, it is building your team not just for this year, but it's building your team for the years to come. And there are decisions that come with that throughout the year where you have to really decide, you know, am I in this thing? And if not, could I benefit from some with some prospects from a team that, you know, could be, uh, could make a run at this thing. And that's where it gets fun. And I know we'll, I'm sure as much as what you love trades, we're going to get into that in a bit and, uh, you know, talk about some of that decision-making too around the trades. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I am a sucker for, for trade talk. Uh, my favorite part of, of dynasty baseball for sure. Um, great. And, um, then of course, as a Reds fan, as a Cincinnati native, uh, what is on your Christmas list this year for the Reds roster? Well, I think first and foremost, for you not to move back to Cincinnati, <laughs> because not not that, I mean, I would love it personally, you know, sure, if, sure. if you move back to Cincinnati, uh, we could hang out, but I'm fairly certain based on history right. that the Reds would not perform as well. Yeah. Um, I think you even mentioned this on a past podcast that uh-huh. like you moved to Cincinnati and then the Reds traded off at Eugenio Suarez and Winker. And then they kind of collapsed. And then it was like you moved away to Rhode Island and then immediately they started to improve. And yeah. Yeah. Um, So number one is uh, stay where you are. Rhode Island is nice. It's great to go visit. Uh, Enjoy. uh, Yes, I enjoy you being there. Um, But no, in all seriousness, I I mean, I think the obvious elephant in the room would be uh, some pitching upgrades. Wouldn't be bad. Um, And then I definitely you know, the uh, soft spot, soft. And then the soft spot in my heart. Also, uh, I think like a veteran Canadian name starts with J could like, you know, maybe uh, be signed and uh, end his career with the team. Um, Although I guess like, you know, I could probably check both of those boxes with like the pitcher and, uh, and that statement still being true with like James Paxton. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. But, yeah. Yep. But uh no, let's not let's not do that. Right. Okay. Yeah. Starting pitching for sure. Um, which is always tough in, in Great American Ballpark. Uh that's that's definitely I think something that they'll have to figure out. But um Joey Votto, that would be so like I it feels like it just feels like wrong to see him somewhere else, you know? Like there's other I think been I haven't hear the seen a lot on kind of where he could go or rumors or whatnot. There's some stuff about him maybe going, you know, to the Blue Jays and like retiring mm-hmm. in Canada, which like, okay, if it's not going to be the Reds, then that, that like would make sense. Um, but also it's just, yeah, it would feel weird to see him play for the, I don't know, the, the Mariners, you know, like I guess they need a first baseman uh, potentially like or DH, like, you know, it's just, it doesn't seem right. So yeah, that'd be great. Um, and the Reds are, they're a ton of fun. I'm jealous. I was so mad watching the Ellie De La Cruz, like insanity from the East coast helps that the ocean is right next to me. Like, you know, if I need to go and just like remind myself why, why it's cool here. Um, but you know, just like watching that and missing out on it, like the, all the Reds games I went to max of like 7,000 people, you know, like I, I guess I went to, I went to opening day once and that's always huge. Uh, and those, but, that, those 7,000, every one of those was a Saturday too, right? 
yeah, right. Like, you know, or you could go on a, you can go on a Tuesday night and get like $3 tickets and then um, like hear yourself echo through the stadium, just making normal conversation, you know? So, um, and then to, to leave and then have it packed again, pretty, pretty quickly. It's just rude. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I'll, I'll always have a soft spot for the Reds for sure, just because of the amount of games I went to there. Uh, as you know, it was great. Um, but yeah, thank you. Thank you, Brent, for kind of talking a little bit more about your, you know, general fandom and some fantasy baseball background and whatnot. We are going to take a quick break. Uh, and then we will be back to actually start the conversation around how Brent was able to build a championship roster. This holiday season, you might be looking for nutritious, convenient meals to keep you energized on days where you're shopping, cooking, or spending time with family. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service, and it can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle while tackling all of your holiday to-dos. I work in an office five days a week, and I've been spending way too much money on lunch because I don't have the time to prepare it ahead of time this holiday season. Factor has a solution with lunch to go. Effortless, wholesome meals like grain bowls and salad toppers that are ready to eat when you're on the go. No microwave required. Head to factormeals.com slash OTF50 and use code OTF50 to get 50% off. That's code OTF50 at factormeals.com slash OTF50 to get 50% off. And we are back. Um, so let's kind of get into a little bit uh, first about the the league, kind of set up the, the settings. Uh, so, you know, kind of like where we're where were the, the restrictions and kind of what we're operating within here. Um, so it's a 12 team league, uh, rotisserie scoring, uh, 50 player rosters, and there's no limit on like prospect versus bench players, uh, on the roster. Uh, there are, you know, obviously prospect spots, but you don't have to have so many of them. You know, it's not restrictive. Uh, you can just kind of like build your roster any way you'd like, uh, daily lineups and daily nightly fab, uh, within a thousand dollar budget, uh, $0 bids are allowed. Um, and so I think he, that kind of, that kind of covers it. So we're looking like, you know, daily leagues, daily moves, streaming for sure. Uh, it's a deep league, but not like too, too crazy deep. Uh, I think I, I, I'm pretty sure like we were able to find some decent streamers kind of on the wire here and there. Uh, I saw that you picked up and dropped resource in like six times in the last like six weeks or so, you know, so like things like that are still, you know, possible. It's not quite so deep that like, you just can't find anything out there, which is good. Um, but yeah, so Brent kind of coming into the league, look, kind of looking over the league settings, did you have any initial thoughts on like how you were going to game plan it to potentially take advantage of, of like the settings and kind of like how you were going to set up your strategy in that way? Yeah. I mean, I think that that was incredibly challenging coming in as somebody new to the league and taking over as manager of a team and trying to figure out just like how how to play it, you know? So, I mean, I think initially some of the things that obviously that you look at when you first come into a new league is like, how does the scoring work? What are the categories? How do those categories compare to what I'm used to? And what are some strategies that I've used in other leagues? How can that maybe carry over to this league? So I, you know, one of the things that I picked up on right away was the fact that this league saves and holds are combined. So that was something that stuck out to me where when I see the saves and holds are combined, I'm kind of thinking to myself, okay, well, 
is the value of a closer not quite in the like in this league what it might be in another league where you're going specifically for saves because you can pick up a lot of holds with you know the setup guy so maybe there are some guys out there that are undervalued in this league that we could, that I can pick up and um that was one thing that stuck out to me but i mean quite honestly like the game plan was to not like try not to act too fast um let's just kind of feel it out let's see how things go let's understand how the other managers manage their their clubs and then let's from there kind of figure out what our go forward strategy is but let's not try to let's not make any dumb decisions up front before we figure out how the league actually plays out right okay that that makes a lot of sense i think um I think for me, when I've taken over teams in the past, it's usually very tempting. Like, it's very exciting. You're like, okay, now I have all these players, um, maybe players that I haven't been exposed to very much on other rosters, you know, maybe I've been rostering for the first time. Um, and, you know, then it's like, okay, like, who's on the wire? Like, who can I go get? What trades can I make? And all this stuff, you know. I think it's it's smart to kind of take a step back and resist the urge to, like, shoot out of the the cannon and and just kind of get into it and change about things really quickly um and just kind of take a step back and like see how it plays out for a little bit you know like what the other managers do um that's something that i don't usually do is pay attention to the other managers i'm usually very like narrow-minded in that sense um and it's something that definitely is very profitable i think for a lot of people even you know in redraft it's talked about pretty decently um but yeah for me it's usually it's very like oh you know what can i do like, what can I go do now? Like, how can I make it better? You know? So, yeah. Now, in all honesty, too, um, you know, I kind of went in with that approach, but I will say that that approach quickly kind of shifted as I saw what other managers were doing because okay. there was one person in the league in particular, one manager who it was pretty clear up front that they were building their team for next year. Mm. And when, like, they were making some trades that were were significant upgrades on the current roster for whoever they were trading to, to get back some, some good prospects. And when I saw that I had some good prospects. So, you know, I'm sure again, as we talk about the trades, we'll get into that, but like I made a significant trade on April 13th that like dismantled my minor league system and drastically improved uh, my major league, uh, my major league club. So, right. You know, I, 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 I say I went into it, I'm going to kind of sit back and kind of see how things play out. But then things started to kind of play out quicker than I expected. And then I was prepared to be like, okay, look, you know, you got to make a decision here and the strike while the iron's hot. Right. Yeah. Um, so the initial roster that you came in with, which with I think was interesting because it has a, it has some really good talent kind of at the top on the top end, but it had horrible depth, like overall, you know, 50 man rosters, like, you can have great, you know, some some great young star players, but you, you need to fill out the rest, especially when it's it was twenty it's twenty three um, starters, you know, every day, and so you need you need twenty three players, fourteen hitters, and nine pitchers, and you know, so if you don't have that kind of back end depth, it gets tough really quickly. Uh, and with a daily league like this, you I think want to take advantage of you know streaming off the bench and just like accumulating plate appearances and innings and things like that as much as possible. So um, so j- here's some some highlights from the roster. So. I think the headliner uh, was Bobby Witt. Uh, and then he also had Adley Rutschman, Matt Olson, Bo Bichette, and Adolis Garcia. Uh, yeah, definitely some some boppers, some really great 2023 seasons. Matt Olson was insane. Um, and then the bench I have here, horrible bench, uh, which I think was pretty accurate. And then he only had four outfielders when he needed five to, 
to feel the starting roster. And so that was pretty like when we were kind of going over the, the roster in person, that was kind of one of the first things I was like, I don't even, I can't even, you know, field a, a team right now. Uh, so that was definitely one of the first things to address there. Um, any thoughts on the, on the offense and kind of how that was looking? I mean, I think you pretty accurately summed it up there. There were a few others that I think should be called out just um, so just so everybody has a feel for some of the other players that were definitely contributors from the get go, like not guys that I picked up, but you know, I had a rise and if you know, he even in 2022 was still had on base percentage that was in the upper three hundreds and uh, over 300 uh, batting average. So um, stats that to me kind of like makes him a poor man's Justin Turner. He's not going to have a ton of pop, but like in a league where you want to get, um, you know, you know that you need to get on base percentage, you need to get batting average, a guy like that, he can plug in there and, and help get you that from some of the guys like maybe um, uh, like maybe historically an Olsen or somebody that maybe doesn't have that high of an average as what he did this year. Um, I don't even know if that's true. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he had, that. there was a, it was a big topic conversation with Olsen. Uh, I think before last year was like, which version of his batting average was real because he had kind of this one really great season uh, where he hit in the upper two hundreds. And then he had, I think two full seasons where he hit like two forty and below. And so it was kind of on, you know, it's like how, like he hits the ball really hard. How much is that? Like how, how much can you just mash the ball into batting average, you know? So, and he kind of went back to that now. So now it's even like, do we take the median of then the four uh, or is it like, is he now going to be able to maintain the batting average where before he followed up his great batting average season with a poor one. And so, you know, so I think you definitely did get the higher end of, of his outcome there for that. Um, but uh, yeah, with, with the offense in general, you know, you kind of, was there any others that you wanted to, that you wanted to point out? Oh, just, uh, I mean, I have Santander uh, 33 uh, home runs, mm-hmm. 89 RBI in 2022. I, you know, if you have north of 30 home runs, that's, uh, you know, this should be counted. Um, also had Matt Chapman to start the season. 2022, he had 27 home runs, uh, 76 RBI. And then um, two guys that I don't normally play for stolen bases. And but I had the two stolen base leaders from 2022 on my roster. So then John Birdie and Jorge Mateo. So, you know, those two guys, it's crazy because the most was birdie with 41 and in comparison to, you know, Acuna this year, it's like half of what Acuna had, but those were the, those were the two at the top. And the fact that they were on my roster, I think uh, is important. And then, you know, also from a, from a starting pitching standpoint, there were some guys who they don't stand out, but if you go back and you look at their stats from 2022, there was Eric Lauer who uh, 1.22 whip 369, uh, you know, 369 ERA, uh, had as many strikeouts as he did innings pitched. And then you can kind of say the same thing for like a Tyler Malley, uh, Jamison Tyone, um, those guys who were not standouts, but they performed well enough to be serviceable on any uh, fantasy baseball roster that goes by this format. Right. They got that rotation spot. You know, they strike enough batters out that gets good volume, maybe, you know, solid wins, you know, like just the the not sexy contributors, but the the definitely ones that you need to kind of round out the roster. Uh, on the top end of the pitching staff, you had uh, Framber Valdez, Zach Gallen, Alec Manoa, ugh, and uh, Joe Ryan. 
and uh and then up for and then you had david bednar and then i think i saw like six or seven just kind of run-of-the-mill mediocre relievers kind of after that um so yeah the pitching staff like i think i noticed there wasn't a ton of strike like big strikeout guys you know like you know gallon and valdez kind of get to it through volume not really great like k per nine you know strikeout percentage joe ryan turned into that uh hadn't really shown it super much uh and kind of in his rookie year previously um and then with you know the relievers so was that something you kind of noticed throughout the season um or kind of like how did your how did you view your pitching staff kind of at first i mean i thought that there was opportunity with the pitching staff but Honestly, I think I had more underperformers than what I was expecting. I mean, I think anybody who who had Alec Manoa, um, and one that we haven't mentioned is Nestor Cortez. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, had a he had a whip that was south of one uh, in 2022, and you know, uh, yeah, was just nowhere to be found. You know, really last year in comparison to those numbers, and that wasn't by any most you know by most people's metrics as you're looking at the season it uh or preseason as you were looking at coming into 2023 everyone thought that Nestor I think was going to regress but uh you didn't fully see the regression of Nestor and Alec Manoa and you know Tyler Malley being injured and like some of these pitchers that you know and that happens it happens with everybody's fantasy roster is that you have guys that, yes, if they were all healthy, you'd be in a great position, but that's not going to happen. You're going to have underperformers just as you're going to have overperformers. So, um, yeah, but I, I would say overall, I felt like my pitching staff uh, underperformed what I thought that they would coming into the year. Sure, definitely. Um, did you, were there any kind of specific weaknesses uh, that you wanted to address or, you know, kind of when did you start noticing weaknesses, maybe start addressing those weaknesses uh, in the season? Uh, I mean, for sure, the outfield, you touched on that, uh, knowing that I don't have enough players to field the outfield yeah. uh, was definitely, yes, that was a concern and something I knew I was going to have to address. Um, I think, you know, overall, I I knew I was going to have to address some things on the roster, but again, I knew I was just going to also have to kind of sit back and let it play out and try not to make any drastic moves, except for when you have that opportunity where you're like, you know what? I do think this team is good enough that um, I paid to be in this league. I don't really want to just pay to enter the league and then sit back and chill out this year and wait till next year. There's also like, no, I want to be, I want to like achieve something. I want to do something with Absolutely. my team this year. So, so I knew that I would have to make some moves and I was going to jump on them when the opportunity came. But then also um, I still, you know, wanted to sit back and kind of see what, were, would be the best moves to make and to, to really help the team um, this current year, but to also put me in a good place to do good things in uh, 2024 as well. Right. Absolutely. Um, did you think, you know, if you kind of look back honestly at, at what, how you're reviewing the roster, did you think you had a shot to, to win the league? I did not. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I remember, I think you actually told me at one point you looked at, you were kind of scrolling through the roster. You think you looked up and you were like, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and to be, and you know, really too, uh, I don't want anybody to get the wrong impression here because I, I do think that there's a lot of luck that's involved in fantasy baseball. I mean, yeah. there's, there's a lot of luck that's involved in baseball and um, people not getting injured and performing well and not having regression from players who have performed well the year before. And there's like all these different factors that 
that play into it. But when you looked at this, when you look at the team on paper, it's like, no. And still, when you look at the team on paper at the end of this year, it's like, I don't think that is the team that should have won. So I think there's luck that's involved. And um, I, I know I going into the season, I did not think that I had a chance, but I will say that as the season progressed, as you know, it became, I think it became clear to me by probably like the midway point that I did feel like that I had a chance. Sure. And I, I knew there were some things I was going to have to do to improve the team, but it definitely shifted uh, in my mind from like, you know what? No, I think it'd be great to finish in the top five. And then as we hit the midway point, I was like, you know, maybe I can, maybe I can make a run at this. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I think in, you know, in dynasty, sometimes it's, you know, Oh, let's, uh, I'm punting, you know, let's rebuild, let's get some prospects, you know, maybe get a good FYPD pick next year. And, um, but I think there's also a lot of people that are like, I think you, that, you know, you can compete any, every year you can make the moves. You could, you don't have to sacrifice necessarily long-term, uh, success, uh, for short-term success all the time. You could usually be competitive if you're just say, you know, active and make the moves. And so, uh, you know, I think that that is, that was also kind of like one of your strengths was just making the moves and being active, uh, you know, on the waiver wire, you know, cause like even when I started kind of falling down the league, it's tougher to pay attention to, especially when you have daily fab, uh, daily moves, you know, it's hard to check on it every single day and see if anyone was dropped and like, you know, see where you can improve your team consistently. You know, it's, it's definitely a lot, but I think from what I saw, you were very active throughout in transactions. Um, and that, uh, and that takes us into fab. Did you have a general strategy for, for fab, uh, daily fab, uh, in a dynasty league? I didn't really, because I haven't really played with fab. Um, okay, yeah. Which is crazy, right? If somebody has been playing fantasy baseball for 20 years and I, I mean, I, I think I've played just a couple leagues that way and they weren't, um, they weren't ones that I took super serious and know anybody else in the league but just did it to have some experience uh, doing it. And I will say that what I, what I knew coming in was that two things. One, I didn't want to use like the thousand dollars up and then not have anything to spend for the second half of the year. I knew that I wanted to have more the second half of the year than what I had spent the first half of the year. And then the second thing was, is I also knew that I needed to just like in many other ways, I needed to see how the, the, other managers were managing i need to needed to see how they were managing their rosters but i also needed to see how they were managing their their finances and how they were spending that so that was something that uh, i really didn't know but again in ways like very similarly to other ways that this league like you kind of start to see the way that different managers approach things with fab it was the same thing and you know, I think there was a manager who, I mean, I don't remember how much it was, but I feel like it was like half of what they had on like one player before the season started. Yep. Yeah. That rings a bell. Yep. Yeah. And I don't remember who the player was. I don't remember. I don't remember, but, um, oh, actually I I do remember one of them was, uh, Ethan Salas. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, Venezuelan. Seventeen catching prospect. Yep. Yeah. 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 Yep. And it was actually, and I, it was, uh, it was 750 of their thousand dollars. 750. Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah, which, considering where Salas ended up, like I can't be mad at it. Yeah. It could pay off for sure. Yeah, yeah. certainly. 
but that wasn't for me. Like I, I knew right. I was like, uh, no, I, I like having that money, you know, the, the money back there to spend when somebody drops somebody that's just like, Oh, we need like, this guy's going to help my roster right now. Um, I do think that that same philosophy shows up in other areas of my life outside of fantasy baseball, where I do feel like a fairly resourceful person where I'm like, let me make do with what I have. And then when I need, like when I need this, I will reach for it. But like, I'm going to try to do everything that I can to not have to reach for that first. I'm going to do, you know, like kind of take other approaches and figure out through trades and things like that, how to improve this team before I go and then spend a ton on picking somebody up. Yeah, and I think that's that's super important uh, in fantasy baseball in general because it's a six month season; it's very long. But in rotisserie too, when you're definitely playing the long game, is not to overreact, uh, you know, or not to get to. It's it's a little bit easier for you because you you aren't on uh, Twitter uh, or social media really. And so I think for me, I start to see I see this guy that's on you know that's I see a video of on Twitter in like a double A game who just struck out 12 guys and his curveball looks insane. And then you go like, okay, $250 in fat, boom, set it in the gut. Done. Okay. I got, I got him. Uh, you know? And so it, there's definitely that kind of like, um, like the, the, the fever of, of seeing of hype, you know, of seeing people get promoted on social and like seeing people get really excited about players and then being like, Oh, I have to, I have to be involved in this. You know, I have to get my part of it. And you know, that's a very common topic in fab is that like, you know, when do you drop the hammer? You know, when do you kind of give into the hype and be like, okay, I think I actually think this is a good player. And I think I really want him on my team. And I know that I'm just going to have to pay more because of that situation. So, um, you know, do you like, that is interesting. I think that kind of definitely kind of pairs with, with your tendencies in real life. And then also just not being on all of on Twitter, you know, kind of getting all that noise. Yeah. I mean, I think you're just, you're like, you know, saying I'm old again or something. I don't know, but yes. Well, you know, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> no, I think it's, um, yeah, I guess I, I'm sorry, Brent, I'm calling I, you old. No, <laughs> I, I often, I often say I'm like, you know, in my, in my twenties, I was the, just like the person kind of resisting social media. And I felt like, uh, I was like, the cool See, it was guy, the know? fad then, you know? Yeah. yeah I'm like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to fall victim to this. I'm going to yeah, just like live life. And then yeah. you get into your thirties and then you don't know any of it. And then you're just like, okay, well now I've just turned into the old guy who's just out of touch. That's kind of where I am. Fair, fair. Um, but I think, I think Bobby, I think your wife kind of helps with that for sure. She's, she is on TikTok. <laughs> she gets yes. the trends. She explains to you the, uh, the, the, the words. <laughs> yes. And she's actually, uh, I think going to, she's like, oh, you should totally be on TikTok, but not in a good way. Like, saying mm -hmm. all of the dumb things that I say about social media. She's like, you should be, uh, we should be recording those. Those should be on TikTok because oh, it right, would be a right. big hit. So, oh man. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. So in some ways she helps and in other ways, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe we should get her on the, the fantasy baseball side of TikTok so she could come to you with all of the, the new hot things that you need to go spend $700 on. There we go. <laughs> But you know, I got it's. I I, I see the value of being level-headed and not being influenced by all of the kind of the hysteria that happens. That I absolutely take a part in. You know, like I'm definitely someone who who caves to, to that, and I love, I very much loves love uh, being on on Twitter or X and and kind of seeing it's it's a good way to stay up to date, but also like it's a good way to kind of lose your mind. So, um, so. Before, so I'm going to highlight a few of the kind of impactful moves that I saw when I was looking at your your history of your transactions. 
But were there any kind of that, that stick out to you as being especially important, maybe even to like a smaller move kind of towards the end or uh, anything that you thought was like really good that you needed at the time? Um, how about when I traded you uh, Yandi Diaz for Trey Mancini? Yeah, that was, uh, I see, you know, I was, I wasn't gonna bring that up forcefully, uh, feels a little rude. Um, but I'm glad that you brought it up because you're, you're waiting on it, weren't you? Yeah. You're like maybe he will, maybe he will. And I won't have to, won't have <laughs> that to was one that. of the first moves you made. Um, and, and I'm out of necessity because you needed an outfielder and Mancini was eligible in the outfield. Um, but I was very happy to take, and Yandy hadn't had his kind of like his power revolution that a lot of people were just kind of waiting for like, Oh, he hits the ball hard, but he can't get it off the ground. And hadn't really had that yet. And I got very lucky that I traded for him and it didn't seem like it was even in the group chat. I think someone brought it up that like it, you know, that's, Oh yeah, that's an even trade. Like someone was trying to give us, giving us crap about it because I think we know each other or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but then it was like, Oh no, like that's, that's an even trade at the time. It didn't seem like it was out of any, any craziness, but now, uh, (laughs) it looks maybe a little bit differently. Um, so yeah, so that was definitely, that was one of the early ones that again, just kind of trying to get that outfield, you know? And and one more, I would say, this was not with you, but with someone else, I traded uh, Alec Manoa for Matthew Boyd. So yeah. I think just getting Manoa off of my team, the bad juju, was pro- <laughs> was probably like that was one of the most significant moves that I could have made. Okay, sure. Uh, that, no, that <laughs> that's fair. Um, but so some some key um, Fab pickups that I noticed. So well, actually, first before I get into Fab, there was one really great one in the FYPD. Uh, I believe he was your second round pick. Uh, yeah, he was your second round pick, uh, James Outman. I think that was big for you because that did hit the outfield. We didn't know how much he was going to play, but he did kind of fill that fifth outfield spot. And then had he got absolutely hot in the start, kind of, you know, was mediocre kind of in the middle. And then he ended really strong too. So he was definitely a big one. Um, and then in fab, I, April 14th, it was, I saw this and it was in bunches. April 14th and April 15th, you got Brent Rooker and Brandon Drury who ended up hitting, what, like 50, 55 homers for you, and then Tanner Scott and Mitch Garver on May 18th. Tanner Scott, you know, didn't have the uh, the closer role until late in the season, but he had, what, like 100 strikeouts, was absolutely incredible, just completely eliminated the, the walk issues that he, had, um, he had, had previously and was lights out. And then you had Mitch Garver, who, you know, kind of going into the season, I think it was kind of like, you know, as his best days behind him he's had the injury issues decent power bat but like how much he's going to play and then you got him on the may 18th and he was pretty consistent he had some really great again power numbers like just what between those three guys 70 homers so um so yeah can you talk maybe a little bit about anything that you saw with those guys um or kind of like how how that uh, how that went yeah i mean starting with outman i was pretty high on outman in 2022 thought he showed some really good uh just really good signs at the plate that he had more in store and um i saw he was available going into the draft and thought hey this i need an outfielder i need an outfielder who's going to perform well and you throw somebody into the dodgers lineup uh, they're going to perform even better uh, in terms of runs and rbi and all that so um so he was you know he didn't disappoint i think he played really well and you had made a point on a podcast episode earlier, um, earlier in 2023, that Altman, you know, you're kind of skeptical around Altman in his position on the Dodgers. And I think that that's a really fair statement. And it still is. But I think that, like, 
the good thing is with Altman is I think he performed well enough this year that yes, he might not be on the Dodgers long term. They they could certainly upgrade there. I don't know what his ceiling is, um, but I think he can be a solid performer for me, especially in a league where we're playing five outfielders all the time. Uh, he could definitely be the fifth. So, yeah. yeah so, I mean, I, I uh, that, that pickup didn't disappoint. And then when you go with Brent Rooker, I mean, his name first off, obviously. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, he's going to give you home runs and uh, not a whole lot else. Home runs and RBI is kind of what he showed. But again, when you have a guy like a rise in your lineup, it can kind of balance things out a bit. And the combination has you playing right. some money ball. Um, yeah, <laughs> there you go. You right. just need this. You just need the to replace. Uh, you just need to replace Giambi in the aggregate, not necessarily in one player. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, and then, you know, same thing. Drury, we know his power. Um, and yeah, you made the points, I think. Uh, Mitch Garver, I've always been big on Mitch Garver, and it, when he's healthy, he's always just mashing, and being able to pick him up is, um, it, it's not always, in a lot of leagues I'm in, it's not always a luxury that you have, but in a league where you have 50 players, you have that luxury of picking up this guy who might not be playing every day as a catcher, but you feel like that, or as a DH, but you feel like that uh, if he keeps hitting the way that he is, he might work his way into that lineup. And I want to get him before somebody else sees that and somebody else gets him. It's too late. Right. So being able to pick him up, play him on the days that he is playing, even if initially it was only three days a week, um, that proved to be a benefit. And a similar situation with Gary Sanchez. You know, Gary Sanchez is a guy that you know, bounced around through the minors and stuff. And it's like, you know, he might not be back in the majors. I don't know. But like, he proved when he was playing, he was still hitting the ball really well, even though he wasn't playing very often. Ended the season with 19 home runs, um, nearly 50 RBI, uh, but only in limited time. Yeah, like he just yeah. kind of came up at the end and just mashed. Yeah, yeah, 200 and 240 plate appearances. So, yeah, yeah, not bad. I'll take that. <laughs> sure. Yeah, um, and uh, and yeah, with Gary, like and. Uh, it's kind of like when you when you think you have an idea of a player and they fall off, and then it's like it's very easy to disregard that uh, and just be like, okay, he's not who I th- like think he was or thought he was before or whatever. Like he's done, he's he's out, you know. And then I think with with you know with Gary coming back, I think recognizing that you just have to shift expectations. You know, you're not necessarily you're not getting him because he's Gary Sanchez. You know, the Kraken that came and like lit up his rookie year with the Yankees and did all these incredible things. Like you're getting the Gary Sanchez. That's maybe a second catcher on a team with the opportunity to hit two homers in a, in a weekend series. And sometimes you just really need that. Uh, and that's just, you know, if you kind of adjust those expectations and know what you're going to get, you could really pay off when, you know, you're like, Oh, I don't want to pay for this guy because I know that he's not going to impact my team in kind of a large way, but those small ways can definitely add up, you know? And yeah. also, I love that you um, brought up one of my segments from a, a while ago. I barely remember that uh, talking about Outman, and and I did, I, I like I did at the time think like I was looking at the Dodgers roster, and I was like, I don't think I don't know where he's going to fit in. You know, like where is he going to find that consistent time? Um, and I also I don't think I expected Mookie to play infield as much as he did, uh, even at shortstop uh, and a lot of second base. And I think that definitely cleared up some space. Um, Hayward didn't play all that much. And, you know, Ed Lux got injured and Miguel Vargas sucked. And so I think that it, like, it pretty op- it opened up very quickly, you know, um, and I think it definitely worked out. And 
that's just you never know. You know, you, you know, you I think you look at it, especially now when we're looking at rosters going into next year. I think it's very easy to look at an MLB roster and think, okay, there's no space. Like this is what they're running with. But then you know, injuries happen, people suck, and things change very, very quickly. And I think that you definitely capitalized on that with Outman. Uh, I think he was like the 13th uh, player taken in that in that draft. It was in the YPD, of course, is is all players, not just first year prospects, but um, in that league. And so, yeah, I mean, no, no one, you know, was on him before that. I think I took, I think I took Brooks Lee in my first round of that one. And I've, I probably definitely would have rather had Outman, uh, in that sense, because I don't, you know, Lee is solid and I think he could still be good, but, um, yeah, definitely a good bargain there. And I think, you know, if somebody tells you that a guy's going to on base percentage is going to be North of 350, yeah. 20, 23 home runs, mm-hmm. uh, 70 RBI, 16 stolen bases and i mean i think in a lot of cases that that guy is going to improve a lot of people's outfield as like i said as a fifth outfielder sure uh, on a on a team that didn't have five outfielders to begin the season yeah that's yeah very clutch <laughs> um all right so we're gonna take another quick break uh we'll be back in a few seconds here and then we'll get into the trades and talk about uh, some trades that Brent did, like he mentioned, that kind of cleared out the farm system, a couple trades that we made with each other, and a couple blockbusters. Brent, your dealings are not for the faint of heart. So we'll talk about a couple of those when we get back after this. All right, and we are back, ready to talk about some some trades. I think what I, you know, the best part of fantasy baseball, I always love, I'm always negotiating a trade. It feels like I have a lot of fun doing it. Sometimes I do it just to do it, not going to lie. Um, and it's just, it's a great time all around. So I uh, want to talk about kind of, you know, the the thought process behind some of these trades and, and what they kind of did for the roster and what weaknesses they, they addressed and things like that. So first, you mentioned it uh, earlier, the April 13th trade, first big move that you made in the league. Uh, I would think I would definitely call it a blockbuster. There's 10 total players involved. You sent... Uh, Jackson Holiday, who you, was your first, uh, your FYPD, FYPD pick number one. Um, did you have one overall in the FYPD? I can't remember. Uh, I believe that was number two. I think it was number two. Okay. Okay. Yep. That sounds right. Okay. So you had number two overall and you picked Jackson Holiday with that. And then you traded him and also Brett Beatty, Jace Young, Quinn Priester, and Justin Crawford. Uh, for, so all minor league guys are guys right at the cusp. Uh, and then you see you received uh, Brandon Woodruff, Glaber Torres, Carlos Correa, Marcus Stroman, and Garrett Mitchell. Uh, it sucked because Mitchell got injured like what a week after that. Um, but everyone else, you know, was pretty consistent and contributed. Woodruff also eventually got injured. But so what was you know that's obviously a very like you said it's a very clear like win now win later deal. You know, one side gets the prospects, you know, gets Holiday, who's now one of the best prospects in baseball, and then you got veterans established guys with great roles that will play consistently and that just immediately that depth that we talked about that you lacked that addressed it very quickly yeah i mean i I agree i think that the the tough thing was about this trade they didn't get any outfielders back right (laughs) like like, you know i get woodruff and stroman and stroman could immediately come in and make a big difference um woodruff i believe was injured right yeah was he i think he might have been injured at the time and it wasn't clear when he's going to come back. Yeah, because he's had that kind of like the reoccurring. He has like the Raynaud syndrome and then he had the like shoulder issues. And like, uh, so yeah, it was, I think he was injured at the time then. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember exactly how that played out. But um, 
but regardless, I mean, you're getting Brandon Woodruff in the deal. And, uh, but then with Glaber and, uh, Carlos Correa, like uh, my infield already looked, it, it was decent. So now I just had like this abundance of middle infielders, but, um, but still trying to learn the league, trying to see how it plays out fairly certain that I could end up, uh, flipping those guys if I needed to and get some outfield help and help in other areas that I needed in. And then that actually played out to be true. So it was, um, not an easy decision when you're thinking about talent like Jackson holiday in particular, or Jace young, right. um, not to Brett Beatty. Um, but like you're talking about these guys who, you know, what their, what their potential is. Um, but you know, looking to do something in the current season that I'm in, um, also trying to not destroy my team for the future. I think that a right. trade like that does it, um, with some guys that were not that high potential for sure, but we we're not sure where that potential is actually going to take them. So, you know, made the move to improve the guy to improve the team now. And then also to bring some more uh, guys to my lineup that I could ultimately flip, which I ended up doing. Right. Uh, just, just curious. Do you look at that now? Do you feel any regret for giving up Jackson holiday when you did? Cause he hadn't quite ascended to that. Like he was, he was looking really good. He was looking like the better player. I think of, of him and drew Jones. Um, and he had just started to, I think, get a lot of hype. He was killing it at wherever he was playing. We had saw him kind of consistently for the first few weeks of the season. He took off. So do you, is that like, are you someone who kind of looks back at someone as like, ah, oh, man, I maybe shouldn't have given that up. Or is it just like looking forward? It is what it is, you know, like, and uh, so yeah, how do you think of that now? Could you get me back a, like a year from now and ask me that question? Yeah, fair. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe two, maybe two years max, like. It's not going to take Jackson Holiday very long to figure out, you know, to to see him in the majors and probably be disappointed and want that uh, when I go back in time. But I will say, I don't think so. I mean, especially not right now, because that kind of brings us to the next trade, which happened on May 4th. And that was where I flipped Carlos Correa for Andrew Abbott. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think, you know, Andrew Abbott, knowing now what Correa did to finish out 2023 i think that was a good a good deal not only for 2023 needing better starting pitching but andrew abbott's a guy that i'm pretty high on for years to come now maybe you know bias here in cincinnati yeah, but no, um, but those flipping those guys or flipping some guys like that um and getting um Im improving the lineup with players like andrew abbott not just for this year but for years to come makes you feel good about giving up some young talent on that initial trade. Right. Exactly. It's never, I, sometimes I get caught up thinking in, in, in trade talks and in, in dynasty in general, thinking that like, I'm going to make this move and then I'm going to have this player for their career. And it's like, okay, like I want, like, what do I think their career will be? Like, what do I think I'm going to be? Are they going to be good in two years? Are they maybe going to start to decline? Are they getting old? And I think that it's very, um, it's fun to do that. Uh, Cause it's dynasty baseball. You can have that player in a league like this forever. But then at the same time, you could also turn it, you could flip that guy. You could, you know, you could include him in a later in another deal, even if you don't intend on it now. Sometimes it just happens where someone asks, they have a player that you really like, and it's going to take this player, and so they go. And so I think that's something that I get caught up on is thinking like too much of like, okay, this, like what I'm going to get back is like this player's next five years. Or maybe I should be thinking more of like this player's this year. Uh, you know, how's he going to help me now? And then we'll address later. We'll maybe even address the last month of the year or the trade deadline differently uh, when that happens, you know? So um, I think it's interesting that you had that kind of in mind to the ability to flip. 
um, at the time, because I think for me, usually that's not something that I'm, I'm thinking of. Usually I think I take it more on like a, um, like I'm going to have this guy until I don't type of sense, um, which is interesting. I do think that I feel a little bit like that too. I mean, I, we share this, uh, this like love of trades and trade talk. And I think that when you make the trade, you do think of this player as now being a part of your, of your team, part okay, of your yeah, lineup. Right. So it's like, you know, yeah, I don't really, I, I don't make that trade with the intent of trading them. Um, typically I'm making that trade maybe with the intent of trading someone else who I currently have, who that player I just traded for is going to replace. Okay. Uh, but then the opportunity pops up and you're like, right. Yeah, this makes sense. Or the player you traded for, you know, you dig in a little bit deeper and you're like, man, I don't know. Like, I don't know if Carlos Correa is going to come around this year. Um, yeah. I just don't know. And uh, so I kind of bet on that and uh, that that one paid off. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so then we get, if we go in chronological order, then we get to the the first big tr- uh, blockbuster trade that we made with each other. And this was the one that we negotiated on the ferry ride uh, when I was a, a newly minted uh, fiance. And um, honestly, like huge for, you know, my, my fiance, Emma and your wife, Bobby, just to be all right with this, um, with their two doofus, uh, you know, partners to be able to take a very nice, romantic, uh, fun, friend-filled weekend uh, and turn it into a little fantasy baseball negotiation and then being all for it and participating. Uh, so much fun. Um, but so so this was the deal. And I, I still kind of go back and forth on it. And I'm looking at it a little differently than before. And um, it was so I um, you sent Matt Olson, Mackenzie Gore, Garrett Mitchell, and Luis Angel Acuna. And I sent, and you received... Luis Castillo, Tyler Glasnow, Tommy Edmond, and Jake McCarthy. How do you feel about that deal now? I mean, I think it was an engagement gift to you. Um, the <laughs> fact that you received Matt Olson and Luis Angel Acuna, uh, I mean, Garrett Mitchell, we don't know, you know, we don't know what they'll be, but like you got pretty good guys there. And then, I mean, just Matt Olson getting him out of that deal. Now, yeah. I feel like long-term, this was not a long-term decision for me, but it was one that I saw where my pitching was heading. I saw what Alec Manoa was doing. I saw what Nestor Cortez, like I talked about earlier, was doing. And I knew that I needed to improve. And I think when it comes to pitching is that as much as what I love streaming and as much as I, what I love just like trying to collect Ks, you have to have the whip and the ERA to go with it. And if you don't have guys like Glassnow and Castillo, you know, you're not, you're not going to do that. You're not, you, you can collect K's by streaming, but um, it's only going to take you so far. Right. So it was a, it was a move out of necessity. And then I'll say that the other thing that helped me make this move, because it's not easy to give up on Matt Olson. Yeah. Um, but the only thing that made it a little bit easier was the fact that I could then turn around and put Christian Walker in my lineup every day and collect a, a fair amount of, uh, home runs and RBI. And of course I'm going to give up that on base percentage. Um, but, uh, you know, again, to the point that I made a few times now around, uh, a guy like Arias, having him can make up for some of that. I just need more of those guys. Now, the more that I give up on base percentage with some of these sluggers. Right. And you actually, you didn't really miss, uh, Olsen slugging because, you know, I looked and 
uh, July 1st, I, I looked at the halfway point where, where we were all at in the standings and, and you were, um, 11th or 12th uh, or not 11th or 12th, 11 or 12 standings points in all offensive categories, uh, except for steals. But so you had, you, you were mashing, you know, like, and you know, you had guys like Santander and, um, you know, uh, Adolis Garcia and like a lot of really good, you know, power hitters and whatnot. Um, so you were, you were doing great, but then at the end of the year, your account, your counting stats, your hitting stats were still all 10 or 11 standings points. You didn't really lose much at all. And somehow you were able to get you know, a whole bunch of stolen bases and you ended up with 11 standings points. And we'll cover that a little bit more in, in a few minutes, but, um, you know, you, you traded away Olsen and you didn't really lose much in the power in the RBI and the runs, um, that he provided. You were still able to recoup that you know, with Christian Walker, with some other guys, um, because you had built up that depth, I think, and, um, kind of gotten that back end secured with the guys like Rooker and Drury. And, um, and so I think that you were dead, gave you, you had the flexibility to make a move like that. I had thought at the time that I had the flexibility to make, make a move like that for pitching for the longest time in this league. I was looking at my roster as really great pitching. Cause I had Castillo and glass now and McClanahan and, um, and Strider and a couple other like really great guys. And so I was like, man, I have so much talent at the top. And then I have like decent depth. And, and I just, my hitting was kind of trash. It just didn't have that upper end of talent. You know, I think I had, I had trout who was on the depth on the decline and um, it didn't have a lot of just like boppers, you know, just big, big power guys. And so Olsen was huge for me. Um, and I was like, I can get rid of Castillo and glass. Now I don't love it. And it's, and it's two really great hitters for one, great uh, or two really great pitchers for one really great hitter. And um, now it looks a bit different because, you know, McClanahan has had the Tommy John and then you definitely feel the loss of uh, Castillo and glass now in the rotation, you know? Um, but I was, I think it was at the time it was very much like your strength was, was counting sets and the power. My strength was the ratios and, and, the, and the starting pitching, high end starting pitching. And it definitely worked well like that. Um, and then it took a lot for me to get Acuna from you. It was that was kind of the the toughest sell I think in the negotiating process uh, was getting you to include Acuna, um, and it was it was a pretty long process. We were talking about this trade for maybe a full day or so up until we actually kind of got it done. Um, so yeah, getting Acuna was nice because it has that kind of upside. He could provide the steals that I was losing from Edmund and McCarthy, um, and then Mitchell is injured. I liked him before. I talked about him on this podcast before, but. And I was like, I'm not going to really competing this year. So I could, hopefully he comes off the injured list next year and it's good. The Brewers bullpen is, or not Brewers bullpen, the Brewers outfield is crowded. So who knows if that'll happen. But um, yeah, Acuna was a tough get from you. Uh, and I, I think it worked out. I think uh, it kind of addressed both our needs. I think I would like one, maybe one of those pitchers back now, but you know, it, it worked out. And let's remind everybody, we are talking about Luis Angel and Acuna. Right, uh, fair. Not the not other wrong. one. Yeah, yes. fair. But that is a great segue into another trade that took place. And uh-huh. part of kind of a stupid reason that I was hung up on Luis St. Hell is because <laughs> I had another trade that was in the process. And there was like, oh, man, like, could I end up with like collecting Acuna's here? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a little bit of that. But um, so having uh, and I mean, his Luis St. Hell's upside is, I think, anyone with the last name of Acuna, you don't want to get rid of. Um, You just know that there's just endless, endless potential. The thing that helped me with that a bit is because I got to this point in the season 
where I understood that stolen bases was just an unbelievable challenge for me. Uh, and coming in as somebody who I wasn't about stolen bases, I mentioned that earlier, and I had number one and number two guy rostered on my team from uh, 2022 in terms of stolen bases and John Birdie and uh, Jorge Mateo. But they, you know, Jorge Mateo couldn't stay in the lineup after the first month of the season where he was, you know, incredible. Right. He looked like Ronald Acuna. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and then uh, Birdie, same thing. Like, he, he, I mean, he, even when he wasn't a lineup, he just wasn't stealing bases until opposite last month of the season. So I got to this place. I was like, I need stolen bases. Uh, McCarthy helped, helped with that. Um, so, but he wasn't on my roster very long because that brings us up to that trade that happened on July 13th. Yes, that trade on July was four days later, and you were in the negotiations for this one as well. You were negotiating two blockbuster trades at the same time um, on that uh, that trip when when you came out to visit us in Rhode Island. And this deal was massive. Obviously, it took a lot to get it done. Uh, so you sent a shopping list of players. You sent Bo Bichette, Cattell Marte, Zach Gallen, Matt Chapman, Jake McCarthy, and Danny Columbay, uh, the reliever for some team, I think the Orioles, and you received Tim Anderson and Ronald Acuna Jr. You could have so, stopped at Anderson. I yeah, think I that was that was really what the deal was all about. Was <laughs> I? I just really wanted Tim Anderson. Right. I I love that throw in. Yeah, well, I'll take Tim Anderson. Sure. I mean, I don't really need him. I got Acuna, but yeah, give me old Timmy. Um, wow. Uh, so a player like Acuna, I think it, it's, it kind of got to a point where you're like, I just need to, like, if the Acuna is available, need to get Acuna. As far as, I mean, what he did last year, he's young. He can still do it this year. He's like the consensus number one pick in all redrafts this year. And you got him. You went and got him. So can you, t- yeah, talk a little bit about that process, how excited you were and, you know, how many players you were willing to give up for, for Acuna. I mean, I think that this was just one of those deals where there are certain players and there's not many that Mike Trout in his prime, Ronald Acuna now, uh, where if you can get them, you just try to do whatever you can to get that player. And at least that was just my mentality. I don't know if it's right or wrong or whatever, but he's just someone who I know um, being a part of the team is going to, uh, I mean, he's just the best of the best out there and he's going to be great for years and years to come. Um, Bo Bichette isn't that far behind in terms of the ranking, but pretty far behind, I think in terms of the overall talent, because Acuna is so, so far out there in kind of a league of his own. I mean, yeah, he's like a full standard deviation above, you know, like even though at the time, at the time, I think Bichette was still kind of probably about borderline top 20, maybe even within top 20, like dynasty player, you know, um, and so it's like, you know, that kind of satisfies a bit of that kind of top end talent. But you just look at like that, that top, those top five players. And then of course the the number one player, it's just, it's a different level. You know, it's just, you can't find that in one single roster spot uh, elsewhere. Yeah. And you know, when you load up on those middle infielders, which I, by this point I'd already traded yeah. some of them, but yeah. when you load up on them and you're trying to improve your outfield, it's like, okay, let's stop screwing around here and let's just improve our outfield. So it was like, let's, uh, let's go all in and uh, let me get a player that is going to drastically improve my outfield and I can build around Acuna 
for the outfield and uh, continue to to work on that in the years to come. Yeah. Um, Are you nervous about like opening up that many roster spots? You know, like just giving away that many that quantity of players. I mean, I I think I would have been at the very beginning of the year, but then after I'd already traded so many prospects for major league talent, it it was like okay. I, I had this plethora of of players that are on my bench at the major league level anyway. So the big thing was like, back to Moneyball was like trying to figure out how do I make up the, the stats, the, um, you know, make up the gap in the stats the way that I need to. So I, I don't think I was concerned with giving up the number of players. I think there's always concern when you're giving up the kind of talent that you give up for one player that right. what happens if that one player gets injured. Yeah. Um, and with Acuna, that's the only, that's like the only um, like concern, right? It's not right. even, oh, what if his performance dips? You're, no, like it's not going to. It's what if he gets injured? That's the only concern. So, yeah, but I mean, you look at that realistically, who I feel like I gave up was I feel like I gave up Bo Bichette and Zach Gallon. Yes, Cattell Marte in the short term, uh, Matt Chapman in the short term, Jake McCarthy. I don't really know. I mean, it. it I really didn't want to include him. Because I had such a gap in stolen bases, I'd just gotten him from right. you, and I thought if I could put him in the outfield with Acuna and some other get some other stolen base guys, I can get you know that stat going in the direction I needed to go to be competitive. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you did a lot in stolen bases. So, like I mentioned, I checked the standings for July first, halfway through the season, and you were dead last in stolen bases. And you ended up in second in the league at stolen bases with 11 standings points. And that was like really the biggest thing that caused you to make the jump from at the time you were in fifth all the way to first, because the other categories were pretty steady. You know, you gained probably a total of like three standings, three or four standings points in pitching. You lost maybe two standings points in hitting outside of the steals. And then you would gain 10 standing points in stolen bases. And, you know, getting a is obviously huge for that. Um, getting... Uh, uh, get, he didn't. So you got McCarthy, but then traded him away. The other big one was um, a story. You got a story, didn't you? Yeah. Yep. Number, so again, I finished the season with number one and number two in stolen bases. Yeah. The difference is 2022, it was 41 and 35. 2023, it was 73 and 67. Yeah. Those two guys helped me tremendously. Right. And you had to give up a lot to get a story. I went and looked at that deal. Um, it was Anthony Santander and Glaber Torres for Asturi Ruiz, where if you were to just look at that in a vacuum, I think anyone would be like, what the hell? You know, you're giving up uh, 50 homers for six, maybe, you know, uh, and then he's on the A's and, you know, maybe the average isn't consistent, whatever for, you know, two full time players, veterans, they're, you know, contributing. Uh, Glaber's going to get you some steals, whatever. But. Then when you look at what you were able to do, you made that deal for Asturi on July 7th. What you were able to do then in the next three months and gain 10 standings points and still in bases and maintain your uh, lead in, in your hitting stats because of the depth that you had built through the waiver wire and through other deals, uh, like you can't look at that and say that it wasn't worth it because it might have won you the league. And that is, I think, really interesting because... Like I said, in a vacuum, I, don't, I wouldn't do that deal. But seeing how it quite literally brought you out of the cellar and stolen bases, it's like, uh, well, it worked, you know? And that's, I think, one of the fascinating things about rotisserie is that it's, at the end of the day, what's going to get you up those standings? You know, where can you address those weaknesses? Like, you, yeah, you might have a, 
worst team on paper in theory, but it's the best for where your team is at in that moment, mm-hmm. um, which is really a fascinating thing to balance, you know? Yeah. I mean, I knew that even though I don't typically play for stolen bases, it's usually because when you do, you give up so much in the process, you're getting stolen bases and you're giving up all these big power stats. But, um, you know, you can get a guy like Acuna and you, you cover all of those. Um, yeah, fair. You know, yeah, that helps. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, but I knew that like this particular year when, when I'm midway through the year and I'm, I am dead last in the league in stolen bases you're not going to win the league being dead last in any category. Uh, There are probably managers out there who have done that, but that is a tough, tough road to victory. So, you know, you have to make that up. And as I was doing the math on it, like trying to figure out, okay, how many stolen bases do each, each of these guys have in them by the time that we get to the end of the season, where do I think we'll be? I started to feel really good about if I can get these players into the lineup that they're going to make up that stolen base gap that I have. And I'll be just fine. And I mean, there's some other guys who contributed to that too, who no one would ever think of, I don't think, but like Jose Caballero. um, I remember I I sent you a text midway through the season or maybe towards the end of the year. Mm -hmm. that was like, you know, Jose Caballero is this guy that you look at him and he's not playing very often, but he finished the year with 26 home runs. He has or 26 home runs. No, he didn't. (laughs) That would be incredible. People would, people would be talking about him then. Yeah. Right. Um, But 26 stolen bases getting back to the topic we're talking about and um a 343 on base percentage very respectable it's not which i was surprised about for sure i was not i would not have expected the 343 on base but and you go back and look at his minor league numbers he's he's an on-base guy and he's been an on-base guy and it it's those players in a in a format where you're playing with deep rosters that again similarly to gary sanchez and we're talking about Mitch Garver, that when they get that playing time and you can get them into the lineup, they're going to improve you in the categories that you need to improve in. And that's what I banked on uh, to make up some of those stats in addition to Acuna and Ruiz. Yeah, exactly. Um, man, that's and it's funny how how the roster comes together, you know, because there's, I think I, I when especially in rotisserie, there's something about how stats get accumulated that sometimes happens in funny, unexpected ways. You know, I think we have perceptions of what a good team, a good fantasy team looks like. And sometimes I think I'll look at, uh, like in my redraft leagues, uh, specifically in like the NFBC, I'll look at, you know, the teams that, that do really well, maybe teams that won an overall teams that, uh, won the league by a ton. And you look at the team and it's sometimes hard to kind of see the differences between their team and your team, you know, and it seems like, like, Oh, I wouldn't have rostered these players. And then it's like, why, you know, why were they succeeding with these guys, you know? Oh, this place, these guys are Sturry Ruiz, you know, as oh, you only got him six homers or he didn't play much down the stretch. And, um, you know, but then it's like, okay, what's the impact of, of, of those steals, you know, or, um, you know, this guy has, um, this, this veteran player, maybe it's like Justin Turner last year, who no one really talked about throughout the whole season, but he played the whole year. He missed almost no time, which is great for like a 37 year old, 38 year old, um, playing in the major leagues. And, um, you know, but he he accumulated. He played it. He hit you know twenty homers. There's like eighty runs, eighty RBI, something like that. Like it was a great player. Having him on their team was very valuable. But it's you know you look at that and it doesn't exactly excite you. You know, but it gets the job done. It accumulates the stats. It 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 gets all the things that you need to win. It's not necessarily about like the player and their profile and their fame and the amount of times that they're mentioned on MLB Network. 
it's the stat line you know it's what they're able to accumulate how much they play and what they provide to your specific roster you know where your roster needs that those boosts um it's fascinating i love talking it through you know i mean i think the lesson in there is that and i've fallen victim to this when i get into a league i mean even this this league here we're like i'm going back and i'm trying to see okay last year the the teams that finished at the top what do their rosters look like and how were they structured um and trying to kind of get a feel for that but what you realize is that I don't think most of the teams that make it that are at the top, if you took that roster and that was that that manager's roster for the entire year, mm-hmm. I don't think they would be at the top. I right. think it's very it's kind of situational where they're making moves throughout the year based on where they are and they're trying to improve their team sure. to get to get there. And um so it's hard it you know that's why at the beginning of of this episode I think I had mentioned that like if you look at my team right now on paper, you'd be like, well, that doesn't look like a team that would win the league. And I think that's probably true. I don't think my team on paper is a team that would win the league, but I think that it was the evolution of my team throughout the year that collectively, as you make all those moves and you adapt to what needs to happen throughout the year, then it starts to, you know, the the numbers get to where you need them to get to. Right, right. Let's, let's actually kind of summarize the evolution of that roster real quick. Kind of talking about all the moves that we've made. So I want to go over the, I just want to give you a list of the the key additions and the key subtractions that that was made on this roster, because it was a pretty significant overhaul. And I'll probably mention some names that we didn't even talk about. Um, so here's the guys that you lost from, from the, when you took the team over to when you ended the season. Huge talent in this group. Bo Bichette, Zach Gallen, Jackson Holiday, Cattell Marte, Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, Mackenzie Gore, Brett Beatty. Anthony Santander, Yandy Diaz, Jackson Job, Luis Angel Acuna, and then pretty much all of the rest of your prospects. You ended the season, I don't think, with a single prospect. And I think you took over the team with maybe 15 to 20. So uh, maybe that's another thing. But so you'll, that's a lot of talent that you lost, right? But then here's the talent that you gained, that you replaced those players with. Ronald Acuna Jr., of course. Uh, Brandon Drury, Tommy Edmond, James Outman, Jack Suwinski, uh, Brent Rooker, Ryan O'Hearn, which was on like on a fire out of nowhere for a few weeks there. Jeremy Pena, Estuary Ruiz, Luis Renjifo, super valuable accumulator, play all the positions. Luis Castillo, Tyler Glasnow, Andrew Abbott, Woodruff, Reese Olsen, uh, Marcus Stroman, Tanner Scott, Trevor May, and Carlos Estevez. And I think that is that is such like that's like flipping a roster on its head, uh, pretty much replacing what half of, I mean, that was like 15 players out of 50, you know, it's like a lot of your core starters and then replacing them with pretty equal or greater core starters and then more depth. Um, and I think that that's fascinating now looking at it as a whole after talking through all the parts of like what that kind of looks like at the end, what is a full kind of year of managing a dynasty team that wasn't yours to begin with. And I think it is very much yours now. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you look at waiver wire moves throughout the year too. And it was like close to 200 waiver yeah. wire moves uh, right. that's ads and drops, but like, that's, that's a lot of moves over the course of a year. Um, yeah, I mean, the roster just looks, it looks considerably different um, with some key players still intact. You know, I didn't have to get rid of Adley. Yep. Um, uh, I mean, Adolis, Adolis Garcia still have yeah, them. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Bobby Witt. Bobby Witt was oh, incredible. Yeah. You know, him just kind of in the background, just doing his thing the whole time. Huge. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, um, it, it's nice not having to give up those really key players to get somebody like Acuna. Now, I did give up a key player. I gave up, you know, Bo Bichette. Um, but uh, to not have to give up two of them for Acuna, to not yeah. have to give up Bobby Witt and Bo Bichette for him, okay. Um, yeah. And, you know, you look at – it's funny, too, the way that things shook out just because – now you look at the middle infield or just the infield in general and you compare it to the outfield and it's um, my, my middle, like my, my infield is kind of like uh, what's going to happen next year. Mm-hmm. Cause I Edmund not counting on him uh, Drury, who knows? I mean, just who knows? Like when does it end? You know, you've kind of had this late seat, late, late ish career surge. Like how much, how much can I kind of go for? Yeah. You have, you have Bobby Witt jr. Obviously plugs right in. But like Jeremy Pena, you mm-hmm. know, kind of down year compared to 2022, I believe. Uh, yeah. Renhifo is good to to play. Like you said, he can play around all these different positions. That's great, but he's not he's not a phenomenal guy in fantasy baseball to have in your lineup. Yeah. Uh, and then um, Luis Arias, you know, I've mentioned him a few times, and you look at him, and and if he doesn't have an on base percentage close to 400. He's not doing much for your team. I've talked right. about it over and over that yes, if he does, he's improving those. He's improving your overall stats for those guys who, who have a sub three hundred uh, on base percentage. But if he, if his on base percentage is, is like three fifty, you really can't put him in your lineup because he's not giving you anything else. Right. So yep. uh, next year, who knows? Like who knows what that infield looks like next year? Right. Could be vastly different. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So then I mentioned, we mentioned kind of prospects and how you kind of got rid of, of pretty much all of them. Was that, when did you kind of realize that that was going to be the move for you? Like how did your valuation of prospects overall um, for your team shift throughout the season? You know, cause like I mentioned, you started with, I think maybe 15 um, or so on your roster and you ended the season with, I believe zero or one. Um, so yeah, kind of talk about your, your thoughts on the, on the prospects part of it. Well, yeah, I think I continued to just kind of like devalue prospects in the league. Yeah. Um, just because, I mean, I think for one, you're not going to see the benefits of having them this year. Um, so like for one, okay, I can't see any, any immediate like gain for me keeping these prospects in my lineup when I know I need to improve my, you know, I need to improve all my stats across the board. So if I can pick up, you know, again, to go back to a guy like, or, you know, the catchers, Mitch Garver and Gary Sanchez and uh, guys that otherwise maybe I wouldn't roster if I still had those spots taken by prospects, but I felt like that I really needed those stats. and I didn't want to lose stats on days when most teams had off days and I'm just trying to keep the the stats building. So so I think that, um, you know, at, at the same time, I didn't want to just release these guys. Like I didn't want to just uh, remove them from my roster. I wanted to make sure and try to get something back in return that would help me in 2023 and help me in 2024 as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and then 
we can approach it at that point. You know, I, I think as we get into to 2024 and I look at the future, then it's trying to figure out, you know, how do we build up uh, some more prospects and kind of rebuild that minors, the, the minor league roster. Right. Absolutely. Um, and then, yeah, kind of going into next season, looking at your roster, what, what are your preliminary thoughts? Do you have anything else to, you know, maybe that's something that you're going to start focusing on. I'm sure trades will start happening pretty soon. Is there anything that you're kind of going after uh, in that sense? All right. Looking forward to 24. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the number one uh, area in terms of stats that needs to be addressed. And I like looking at it in terms of the stats that need to be improved. It would be the whip and the ERA. Mm-hmm. Those are two categories where I finished close to the middle of the pack. Yep. Um, the only two. Yeah. Yep. Um, and those two, you know, they weren't very strong. My whip was, uh, it was 1.25, uh, ERA of 403. Um, so I think that like one thing that I would like to do in 2024 is less streaming. Um, mm-hmm. I got to that point later in the season where I was going for like, man, I really need wins. I need quality starts and I need K's. And I knew I was going to sacrifice some of that ERA and the whip, but that was, I, I knew I needed to win those categories. So that's what I'm going to do, but I don't want to be in that position in 2024. So I'm going to do whatever I can to try to improve those. The other thing is, I mean, I, I still think all the way around the the roster, you know, like I had said before, when you look at the roster on paper now, it's, it, it doesn't appear to be a winning team. And I, I believe that, that if I just went out and I played the same roster in 2024, I don't think I'm going to finish in first. So there are some areas that I'd like to improve. Um, one of those, well, really it's the outfield and the infield. So basically I've covered everything here. I need to improve the <laughs> need to improve whip and ERA. Um, the outfield is definitely better, but I still feel like I need a fifth outfielder. Or maybe it's a fourth outfielder if we're considering James Outman the fifth. Um, and in the infield, it's just said it's kind of messy. It's very susceptible to who knows what could happen with some of the these players next year. And and then the building of the minors. The building of the minors is one that I, I do think that that is an important step to make sure that I have players that uh, that are you know ready to go. You, you do look at the one team that was making a lot of moves early on in the year and was collecting uh, some great, great minor league talent. And um, they could be scary, not in 2024, but they could be scary in 2025, 2026. And yeah, it's, uh, it's funny. You asked me that. I'm like, well, all the way you look at the entire roster all the way around (laughs) and there, there are areas to improve it. Yep. Without a doubt. Absolutely. Uh, I'm just, I went and looked at that, team's roster uh to see kind of like how the how their how their minors look and just look here's some of the guys that they were able to acquire um jackson holiday kobe mayo brett Beatty, jace young wow wow for you uh ethan solace uh dalton rushing jason dominguez the chase de louder matt mervis blaze jordan colton Kowser, edward julian and that's all just hitters. And then you have uh, like Tarek Skubal, Grayson Rodriguez, Jackson Job, um, Nick Lodolo, Tinkens. You know, so it's like it's you know you're you're not going to see a lot of playing time next year. You know, and there's definitely some spots, but 
I don't really want, I don't really want to face that team in 2025, you know? Um, and so, and, and there's also always going to be teams that are looking for those prospects that are trying to do that, right? They're trying to become formidable in a year or two. And so having something to kind of barter with for major league guys is, is very nice, um, to kind of have that flexibility there. Um, do you have any, what are your, um, thoughts on prospects in general, like how to find prospects? Like, is there something that you, you know, what do you look at when you're looking for prospects to, to trade for or go acquire? I think I'm probably not the right person to ask uh, because my team doesn't have any prospects on the roster, <laughs> but um, I don't want them to be that far away. You know, we mentioned uh, Ethan Salas earlier and I'm like, I'm sure he's going to be a great talent and um, not at all, you know, talking bad about the person who, who spent a lot of their fab on picking him up and adding him to the roster. But He's 17 years old. So, you know, are, are you playing for 2028? 20, you know what? Right. And I, in fantasy, I like to each year, I want to be, I, I want to be a player. You know, I want right. to make sure that putting myself in the best position. So, prospect wise, I want some that are, I like them to be on the fence. I like them to be, you know, close where, hey, if I'm, trading for a prospect i want them to come up by the end of the year or maybe start on the roster the following year right um, and I, I believe this was i think you have you have two teams right fantasy teams mm-hmm. it's this one and, and your 20 year one and yep. i think that's a kind of something that's interesting and just like the volume versus just having a couple like for me when this team started to suck i had no problem with that i have 11 other teams that i can go and, and look at and so for me it was like oh yeah no okay i'll i'll try to Maybe not try to tank, uh, but just conveniently fall to the bottom. And that's fine. You know, I can go and kind of address other things elsewhere. But when you have two teams, like you said, you want to be competitive. You don't want to just like let it fall off because then you got, you know, you got nothing to do. Uh, so I think that that's definitely, I, I, you know, if you're looking for active dynasty managers, it's probably a thing that you want is just to kind of focus <laughs> on like the the one or two. It's definitely much easier to uh, give that attention to it. Um, because yeah, that's it's something that if I'm in that position, like I can, obviously I'm going to try and, and kind of tr- try to crawl out of it. But at some point I am all right with letting it like just kind of chill. Um, and so, yeah, that's, I think a case for maybe not having uh, a dozen or so. Uh, okay. Yeah. But then another kind of questions, a couple more questions I want to ask you before we leave here. Um what do you think overall was the biggest key to your success uh, in turning the team around? Um, the on the farm podcast. Oh, I love that. I love that answer. Great. <laughs> there you go. We got in, we got in episode marketing here. Didn't even, didn't even ask for that. I promise. I'm not holding a gun to him on the screen. <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean, in, in all seriousness, I, um, I, first off, I would say that the on the farm podcast is, uh, it's, I mean, I find it incredibly beneficial as somebody who I don't dig in deep and look at the advanced statistics that a lot of times you're talking about on here. And it, it does help open my, open up my eyes to some players and especially prospects and different just different players. I'm not really paying that close of attention to. I am an avid baseball fan, but again, we have established that I've been an avid baseball fan for a long time. So maybe I'm not like just, maybe I'm just not there where like, I'm not, I'm not digging into contact rate and 
you know, the way that uh, the, you talk about on this podcast. And, you know, I'm not here to promote a particular platform where you can go this podcast from, but there is one that does something every year called Wrapped, where uh, this particular platform lets you know, like, here's uh, the artists that you listen to the most and the songs that you listen to the most over the past year and the podcasts that you listen to the most over the past year. And On the Farm made my top five. And I certainly listened to a lot of podcasts. So that was the only fantasy baseball podcast that made its way on my top five. Um, so, I mean, yes. So not saying all the credit for the win goes to this because most <laughs> of the credit goes to luck, yeah. uh, which I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And it is, uh, yeah, just getting, you know, I, I think that that's, I think it's a lot of luck. I think it is trying to learn from other people who stay more in tune than what I do. And then I think that there's also this just love for strategy yep. and mentioned at the very beginning, but that love for strategy has you coming back on a daily basis. It's the reason why uh, as much as, you know, a lot of people who are listening play fantasy football just as much as they do fantasy baseball and love it just as much. And it's absolutely great. But for those of us who, who don't, maybe we only play fantasy baseball. It, it tends to be because we're like, we're just stats crazy about stats, yep. crazy about the strategy in yep. the day to day of it. And, um, the people who, you know, grew up going to the ballpark and marking down every player, mm -hmm. exactly what they did each time up to the plate yep. that now transfers over into fantasy baseball and looking at the stats here. So, um, I would say that luck, uh, strategy, love for strategy, and of course, the On the Farm podcast. Oh, that's awesome. Um, that is so, you you texted me the the screenshot of On the Farm and your, and your Spotify wrapped. And that was a, honestly, it was a pretty surreal a moment, I think, um, because it was, you know, next to much more obviously established podcasts with some famous people and then there's On the Farm and um, I was actually in the middle of recording an episode of On the Wire, another pitchless podcast with Adam Howe and Kevin Hastings, um, which was tons of fun. And it was that was already a kind of full circle moment for me because just being on that podcast, because that was my first time I ever was on a podcast was in uh, like June or July of 2022 on as a guest on the on the on the Wire podcast, filling in for Kevin Hastings, who was like moving to Hawaii at the time. And uh, they just kind of put out a message in the, in the picture list, uh, you know, group chat. It was like, Hey, you know, we need someone to come on this episode. And I was like, yeah, let me try podcasting, you know? So I went on and had a ton of fun. I was, I was all right at it and, you know, kind of started dedicating myself to, to more like the research and the skills and the talking and all that, you know? Um, and then joined on the farm. And, and so that was my first time back on that podcast uh, since that first episode. And so it was already kind of a cool moment to be back and have the kind of improved skills and, uh, talking to them again and then to kind of in the middle of it look at my phone and see that you had sent that kind of screenshot was it was so cool and I appreciate that I appreciate obviously you listening and all the listeners that that kind of make this possible um, because it's it's definitely rewarding it's kind of bittersweet when you hear that your uh, competition uh, <laughs> potentially uh, had some help winning the league that you're in uh, because of some of the the things that you say on your podcast. But that's kind of a caution of the hazard of the profession, I guess. Um, and I think it's I'd I'd much rather have uh, have people be successful from this, and it kind of takes away from something than to just give out crap all the time. So uh, really appreciate that. And um, 
yeah, you know, it's, I, I like those, those keys of success. There's definitely so much luck that kind of goes into it. It's the health. It's, you know, it's the exceeding expectations and performance. And then taking those guys that you mentioned that kind of, that didn't live up to the expectations and replacing them. And um, there's just so much that goes into it for sure. Um, and then one thing that I had jot down that we didn't get to earlier, what do you think the biggest challenge is in taking over a dynasty team and taking someone else's team and, you know, being successful with it yourself. Yeah. I don't think we ever directly, you know, I don't think you directly asked me that earlier, but I do think I probably answered it through some other, uh, just throughout this kind of in saying that, like, I I think first and foremost is you're new to it. Um, you don't know, you don't know the league. You don't know, even though you can see what the rules are, you don't sometimes fully understand the way that that, everything plays out in reality. Um, even here, like trying to figure out, and I'm sure some listeners are still confused by like how many minor league spots they have. Like what's like, how does this work? It's a 50 player roster. But, um, that whole thing was kind of confusing jumping in to be like, Oh, you have total control over that. It's like however many I want in the minors and however many I want on my major league roster. So like trying to figure that out, um, trying to figure out the other players. Um, how do they play? And when you play with people for 20 years, another league, like I know the way that they play. I know the way that they think. I know the types of trades that they're looking to make. I, you know, I, I just have a great understanding of those players. So um, I think it's just the unknown, not knowing. And it's just like anything else you come into outside of fantasy baseball, anything in life, you come into it, you don't, you don't know what to expect. You start a new job, whatever. And uh, you have to take some time to just kind of understand it enjoy it and uh and figure it out as you go absolutely yeah no that's that's great um that's a great way to approach it great way to you know kind of summarize it and it's a really great skill to have for sure in fantasy baseball um but that is that is all the prepared things that i had to talk about i think we made a decent time we didn't go too far uh like we tend to be but uh, it's been so much fun to to talk to you, Brent, on this on this your your first baseball podcast. Uh, having done podcasts before, it's I'm sure it's not that foreign. But having it having you here on this podcast has been has been awesome to kind of uh, to do to do that with 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 you, my my real life friend. Um, do you have anything else? Anything else that you know wanted to add? Anything else that we missed? Anything that you wanted to to shout into the ether before we uh, wrap it up? I mean, I think you did a great job of, uh, with the questions and I don't know of anything else really to leave everybody with. I mean, outside of, um, you know, I just kind of hinted at it, or I guess I said it when I said, um, the enjoy it, you know, have fun with the fan with, with fantasy, no matter what league that you're in. Um, I have been in leagues as I'm sure many people have where it was uh, a little bit too serious. Right. You know, it was yeah. I mentioned earlier, I'm not the most competitive person in the world, but, you know, I think also, um, even if you are, it's like, we do this for fun. We do it as a stress release, uh, for, you know, it, it takes us out of reality and away from some of the crazy things that's going on in our lives. And, and it's so just enjoyable, um, to be able to participate in something, whether it's fantasy baseball, fantasy football, whatever it is that you're into and, um, and to be able to, uh, share those experiences with friends and make friends throughout the process. Um, 
Uh, so, you know, that's, that's the thing is like, have fun with it. Yes. I won this league in 2023, but, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen next year, but I can tell you one thing for sure is that, uh, I'm going to have fun getting to know the people better who are in the league, um, have fun, uh, learning, uh, throughout and yeah. Um, that's something I definitely encourage everybody to do is don't, don't take it too serious. We're here. It's, it's, a, it's a fun thing to do socially with other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, awesome. Thank you so much, Brent, for, for taking the time, for being here, for, uh, making your, your baseball podcast debut and, and sharing all of the, the awesome insight about kind of how you, how you flipped the roster on its head and, and went for it and, and got there, you know, won your championship. And, uh, with that, we will go ahead and bid y'all adieu. You can find me on X slash Twitter at Jake Mash M-A-I-S-H. You can't find Brent, so don't try. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, with that, have a great rest of your night, everybody. Find the Pitcherless Podcast at PL on the Farm, uh, and have a wonderful day. Thank you.